0: Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us on Eagle Eye today. Every week, we have exclusive interviews with your favorite BC student athletes, professors, alumni, and
1: Make sure to follow the Heights on Instagram and Facebook to recommend guests you'd like to hear from. You can catch up on the latest headlines on the Heights' Facebook and Twitter pages every Monday.
0: Today is exciting because we have a special guest, Professor Greg Spark. Greg specializes in research on the psychology of social change, including research on interventions to address social problems related to the environment, health, and social inequity. He recently co-published an article in which he found that American support of climate change is widely underestimated across the country, which we're lucky to talk about today. Uh, Thank you, Greg, for speaking with us. Can you give a little bit more background about yourself and your research?
2: Of course. Thanks for having me. So yeah, I am a... freshly minted uh, professor, specifically assistant professor here in the department. I just joined over the summer, and so now my home is in McGuinn, um, and I've just joined the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience. Uh, before that, I was doing some research on at an interdisciplinary center at the intersection of psychology and climate change at Princeton, and my training is as a social psychologist that I did while doing research at Stanford.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We really appreciate it. Um, So uh, talking about your most recent paper, um, which is very kind of um, prevalent in today's society because obviously climate change is such a big issue, but um, it's kind of varied in popularity. I mean, some people seem to be very focused on it and some people tend to not seem as focused on it. just because of the ri- wide range of problems that are going on. What kind of were you looking for when you were addressing the research? Um, and what kind of things did you initially test for?
2: So, some prior research has shown that Americans underestimated the percent that their fellow Americans believed in climate change. And we were curious if there were kind of similar perceptions when it came to how concerned Americans were about climate change and whether they supported mitigation policies like a Green New Deal or a carbon tax or 100% renewable energy mandates. It seemed like very plausible to us that people might underestimate those things as well, because if you don't think people believe in climate change, you probably don't think they support policies to address it, for instance. Um, And also because the prominent dialogue in the country seemed a little hesitant, right? It didn't seem like... um, from, from our anecdotal take that people understood just how popular climate policies were, or they understood just how many Americans were concerned about climate change. It seemed to us, again, anecdotally, that people, if anything, thought, I don't know, I guess Americans are kind of apathetic about climate change. Like maybe that would have been the like, easiest kind of rule of thumb someone might have when thinking about this country and how they feel about this major social issue. But we had seen a lot of polling um, coming through in like the last five, maybe even 10 years about climate change, which shows that in fact, two thirds of the country is concerned about climate change and about the same number support major climate policies. And so we suspected that that kind of anecdotal picture of what people probably picture the United States look like versus the real thing would probably not line up and that there might be this gap here. So we went ahead and asked people, We recruited a very large nationally representative sample of more than 6,000 Americans, in which we oversampled small states just to make sure we could come up with a map of the country in order to visualize the differences by different regions. And we asked them, what percent of Americans do you think are worried about climate change? What percent of Americans do you think support this variety of policies? We asked them uh, specifically about a Green New Deal, 100% renewable energy mandate, support for a carbon tax, as well as citing renewable on public lands, all of which are kind of major transformative actions that can help uh, bring about the transition of this country to renewable energy. I can talk about the results too, if you want.
1: (laughs) Sure, yeah, that'd be great.
2: So what we found was, uh, in fact, yes, Americans underestimated how much fellow Americans were concerned about climate change. So while two-thirds of Americans are worried about climate change, people thought the number was only 30, maybe 40% of Americans that were worried about climate change. And the same goes for policy support. While a lot of the policies we asked about often poll at a super majority of Americans, like around 66, 67, in the case of citing renewable energy on public lands, 80%, people think the number is only in the 30s or 40s for a lot of those policies. And... One thing that we found particularly surprising wasn't just that the magnitude of that misperception was so large to flip um, a supermajority of Americans' attitudes into just thinking that's only a minority of people, but that it was so ubiquitous, it was spread out across the country. There was virtually no group, in fact, I gotta say there was no group we recorded that had an accurate perception about how popular these things were. So we asked uh, this question of Americans from different political Uh, orientations, so both liberals and conservatives alike underestimate this, although conservatives did underestimate it even more. Um, We also uh, found this to be true of kind of every major racial demographic that we asked the question to. We found it to be true of young people and old people, people who don't have a GED, to people who went all the way to get their PhD. The difference there, by the way, was only one percent better. You were one percent more accurate compared if you had a PhD compared to somebody who never even got their high school degree. So whatever you learned, it wasn't what Americans think about climate change, it was something else presumably, um, when you pursued higher ed. And uh, we also looked at consumers of a variety of kinds of media, like maybe consumers of certain news sources would be more accurate than others. And in fact, they were. Those who consumed conservative news sources, even controlling for their own personal politics, uh, were more likely to underestimate this to a greater degree but even people listening to NPR or reading the New York Times are still underestimating just how popular these things are by more than 20%, enough to flip a majority to a minority. So there was no demographic we saw who had an even close perception of how popular these things are in the United States.
1: That's actually like so fascinating. It is kind of crazy how, you know, like, even though climate change and the issue itself is so important and it's not really salient in people's minds and like everyday life. Um, Going more specifically into some of your findings, your main intentions of testing were to examine how widespread pluralistic ignorance was on climate change advocacy to find if there were misconceptions in both the majority and minority pockets of the country. Can you explain the concept of pluralistic ignorance and what were some of the variables you tested for?
2: Sure. The term pluralistic ignorance, by the way, it's a pretty harsh one. (laughs) Like, it's like, dang, like, you know, they didn't really spare the punch, right? It's like many people are dumb is like the phrase that was chosen for it because pluralistic in the sense that it's many people or a plurality of people and then ignorance, right, Uh, are wrong about something. So that's sort of a um, criticism of the term choice, but it's been around for a very long time. People have been asking questions about, do we have accurate perceptions of norms and beliefs and the actions of others around us? That question has been around for more than hundred years in the social sciences. Um, and often the case is no, we actually can drift pretty far from reality in terms of our perception of what others think and how they behave. Um, so yes, um, prior work has often examined pluralistic ignorance in the context of local communities. For instance, some of the classic research shows that undergraduates on college campuses think the average undergraduate likes to drink more than they do. So the average student thinks the average student likes to drink more than they do, basically. Um, And it's not hard to imagine why people might overestimate kind of how popular certain things are. It's because they loom large in our mind, right? Like the loud party is like really easy to envision or I don't know, every kind of media representation of what college is like is just people getting drunk constantly, right? So it's not hard to see why these sources of information are kind of overrepresented in our mind when we picture uh, how you know the average might feel about something. So there's a lot of ways that that topic has been investigated and, and we kind of applied that here in, in the domain of nationally speaking, how do people feel about climate change?
0: That's really great, yeah. Um, and it's, it's so interesting to see, um, I think you found that, I think around like 80 to 90% of Americans underestimated how other Americans view climate change, um, which is just a crazy statistic when you really think about it. I mean, 90% of Americans, they don't have an accurate perception of how other Americans view the same topic. So um, that, that's such a, like an interesting term, the concept of pluralistic ignorance, um, just how everyone can kind of be on like a different page at the same time over such a prevalent topic. Um, Yeah,
2: that, that is something that's particularly striking, right? It's, it's not just that people are wrong randomly, right? They're kind of wrong in the same way. Like we all walk around holding a picture of what the country's like in our minds. So like every American, or in this case, 90% or something, you know, of Americans walk around being like, I guess America doesn't care about climate change, right? And that we all have that shared picture in our mind, right? And we're all wrong. Uh, Like that's kind of, so we labeled that That particular kind of a case, we called this a false social reality. We felt like it encompassed what what, what's happening out there, right? So, um, and we kind of said, you know, pluralistic ignorance is a general term for when people misperceive a norm or there's a shared misrepresentation of a norm. And this is a little bit more than that, though. It's not just that like like a pocket of people are pretty wrong. It's really like near universal. And they're so wrong as to invert the norm status from, in this case, a supermajority is seen as just a minority of people, right? So those two things, the fact that it's ubiquitous and that the magnitude is so large as to flip majority to minority, uh, we felt required a slightly new term just to describe how kind of, um, how large and impactful that was. And we thought false social reality felt like a good term. Like we're kind of existing in that false social reality with others
0: and you I know from that you talked a lot about like the mis- like misconceptions that people kind of perceive from those um, false realities so um especially testing for like the magnitude of misconception, which is um an interesting concept in itself. Um, wh- where did you find that um like these misconceptions stemmed from? was it the media sites was it from just kind of political parties? Was it just kind of the way people were talking about it? Um, Where where exactly did you you find that it came from?
2: There's a variety of plausible contributing factors that lead people to misperceive how the country feels about an issue and, and could explain why coast to coast, virtually everyone has that wrong picture. So one kind of explanation would be major media, right? Like that is, a major contributor to our picture, of what the country looks like. Um, So so we did include some media consumption items. And like I mentioned, just about every news outlet, consumers of it had a less accurate uh, or not especially accurate perception of this issue. Now, it does seem like, again, conservative news outlets seem to be yet again a little worse in that metric, right? So if, uh, you know, Uh, CNN, The New York Times, and NPR are kind of around 25% off. Fox News or America One Network, things like that, are more like 35, edging on 40% off, right? So so there's two ways to interpret that. One is to say, I wonder if those news outlets, like The Times, CNN, are they helping or are they just portraying a slightly less wrong picture of the country? Um, You could kind of interpret it either way, the data you could argue, speak to it in both both directions. So media consumption was one. Um, we also thought that the local norms that you saw would experience and experienced would shape what you thought the nation felt. So if you lived in a conservative place, you might think, I guess the rest of the country is conservative too. Or if you lived in a liberal place, you might think, I guess the rest of the country is liberal too um, and kind of generalize from your uh, day-to-day interactions with people. Um, and we do find that if you live in a conservative state, again, controlling for how, conservative you might personally be, and even controlling for media consumption and things, um, that just those local norms do influence if you had a accurate or less accurate. So being in a more conservative state tended to make people underestimate how popular climate change was even more. Uh, But uh, some of the most conservative states were not especially different from some of the most liberal states, right? Like we, we, when we say this is ubiquitous, it's underestimation in California looks pretty similar to underestimation in Texas looks pretty similar to underestimation in New York. Um, we, but we do see like you know maybe Mississippi's a little bit worse, but like not that different um, in the scheme of things. So, so the local norms do matter, um, but again, at the end of the day, it was still ubiquitous. And then uh, the third factor we thought might matter is your own personal ideology, right? If you're a conservative, you might like to think. Others are too on this issue. Um, although that's a little more nuanced uh, than just that, because in fact, you know, almost half the conservatives are worried about climate change and do support major policies to address it. So it's not clear why they would like to think others disagreed with them and didn't want to support these things and weren't worried. So that explanation only really works for the subset of conservatives who aren't on board uh, for doing something about climate change. Um, but amongst them, it may be true, and we do see that in fact conservatives did underestimate higher. So, so even controlling for their location and for their media consumption, just their personal ideology uh, makes a difference. So those were some of the factors we looked at. There's a lot though that we haven't looked at yet. In fact, we just got a grant that we have detailed out like nine or ten different contributing factors that strike us as likely. One of which I'll kind of highlight as an example is when you ask people to estimate public opinion, they may not be doing it for like the year 2022. Like if you just ask them, like, how do Americans feel? They might be aggregating that opinion in their mind, not just of what they only experienced this year, but like maybe the last 10 or 20 or 30 years even, right? So it could be the case that people's perceptions of popular uh, or of of public opinion kind of lags behind the real thing by a decade or two. And there's some research that shows that people do have this kind of temporal lag when they're asked to estimate how the country feels about an issue.
1: Yeah, that's actually um, really interesting because like I'm a poli-sci major. So in terms of how we view other parties is something that we've talked about a lot and how we're very off in fact, and how the media, I really like how you mentioned both the media and political parties because it's like the media not all sources, but they do portray, you know, the very extreme side of politics. And so we as consumers tend to kind of get that perception of the other party as well. Um, so I really um, appreciate how you tied that into, you know, this climate change issue. And we're gonna talk about that a little later in this interview, but how would you just overall suggest bringing awareness to Americans that climate change efforts are in fact supported by the majority? And maybe, you know, less endless, huge gap that we have?
2: First, we, we kind of want to get a handle on exactly what the contributing factors are before we start spouting off potential solutions. So, I mean, I think we have some in mind, right? It's not that we have no guessing about what could be a good way to do it, um, but we're a little hesitant to jump right into the fixing it part until we have a deeper sense. So if it were just an informational problem, if it was simply that people get the wrong information, It could be as simple as providing them with the correct information that could be that could be enough just just kind of being louder about the fact that uh, actually most Americans do this They they care about this, they support these policies. Right and just try to get that factoid out there as best you can right? that that would be one strategy if it was solely an informational problem. Now, if it wasn't an informational problem alone, let's say it was also that. People have a hard time understanding how a whole nation feels and so they rely on a variety of rules of thumb and heuristics to guess and let's say their kind of rule of thumb for a lot of political issues is to kind of go well how do democrats feel how do republicans feel let me add those together and make an average for you about the country like let's say that's their short short story about understanding how americans feel about an issue and let's say that when they do it for climate change that rule of thumb says Uh, I guess Republicans don't care and maybe some, but not all Democrats do. Like maybe that's their story. Uh, And that story would put you in the wrong place. That would put you into the under half area where most people are, right? So we might have to not just tell people the correct factoids, but replace those stories that they use to try to estimate those things with better rules of thumb or better heuristics. So that they arrive using their little process. They arrive at a more accurate place. So maybe that would we should replace that heuristic with one that says, actually, virtually all Democrats are on board, most independents and about half are Republicans. So that when they do their little calculus, you come up with like a more accurate number, which would be about two thirds then, right? If we're keeping track, um, which, which would be a much more accurate rule of thumb if you kept using that around a variety of issues. The same would be true, by the way, if you ask people about like um, how popular minimum wage was. Like that rule of thumb would work a heck of a lot better than also assuming that it's got to be no Republicans and only some, it's like, no, no, it's, it's really like a lot of people want minimum wage to be higher. Another kind of rule of thumb they might be using is thinking, well, I don't really know how a whole country of people feels. That's like almost impossible to even imagine at once in my mind. So instead, what I do is I look at what the government does as a availability heuristic, we would call that in psychology. Um, It's available information. And like the Senate, for instance, is supposed to be a representative body of this country. So I might think the way the Senate feels about these things is accurate portrayal of how the country feels about these things. Um, And so doing that, you might come to the conclusion like, well, I haven't seen with the exception of the really, really recent inflation reduction Act, which happened um, after uh, our study. It'd be really interesting to see if there's differences now because of it. But you might've thought before that, well, the country hasn't really done anything, it seems like maybe some but not all Democrats are on board and not any Republicans. And so maybe that's how Americans feel too. But using them as a benchmark would be a bad benchmark for how Americans feel. Um, Even though they're technically called the representative body, they may often not be very representative in terms of how they feel versus their constituents. Also, numerically, it's not representative, right? The Senate is it overweights some places and underweights others, of course.
0: Yeah, do you think it it's ever likely to know when there's an accurate kind of representation of how climate change is being addressed in the moment? Because um, I know you talk so much about how, like, you know, political parties and medias are skewing how it's being pursued or perceived, especially when it's, like, an aggregate kind of... Um, view of it, maybe over like the last couple of years, is there any kind of way to know in the moment, like, oh, this is how it's being addressed. These are the policies that are actually doing something to, to change it, or is it just kind of, kind of have to give it up to assumption?
2: For those looking to get an accurate picture of how the country feels about the issue, one resource I recommend is the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. They have they survey the issue twice a year. They have dozens, if not maybe hundreds, of questions that are part of their like a rolling poll where they're sampling thousands of people each year. Um, and the data is pretty granular, and it covers a wide range of topics. And they have pretty visuals to like kind of break it down too that are pretty effective, I think. So there are ways to kind of you know be more accurate about um, how the nation feels. Um, in terms of, uh, was part of your question also how to understand um, what different political bodies think about the issue and contrast the two? Um,
0: yeah, like is it, is it hard to have like a, or is it wrong, I guess, to have like a far right view on either one of those political sides? Um, sorry, I should have been more clear, I guess.
2: Do you mean do you mean wrong in like the normative sense? Like, you know, shame on you for having that view or, or do you mean like less accurate in the sense that, um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I know which question you're asking.
0: Sorry, yeah, I, I meant just like, is it like accurate to have kind of a far-sided view on either political party? Like if say you're a strong conservative and you believe only in those views, is it wrong to be kind of, fully entrenched in those ideals? Is it kind of like prevents you from seeing other sides of the issue that may also be correct? Or is it okay to be so far-sighted if that that kind of makes sense?
2: There's definitely value in being able to contemplate other opinions besides the ones you have, even if you're just extremely moderate, right? To not be, to not open up and, and consider alternatives to moderacy, right? So I don't know if it has to do with exactly where you are, on a political continuum that there's a a more open-minded, less open-minded part of it. I think people in in the moderate space like to claim that they certainly are the most open-minded, but it's possible they're also just very closed-minded and and just really entrenched in moderacy. And there's a lot of institutions that could support you in those beliefs too, right? So um, it might be hard to prove that one way or the other, I think, but but generally I think it is important to be open-minded and see things from different perspectives, that that's a valuable characteristic um and in the case of understanding public opinion it, it's possible it might make you more accurate too because a lot of these groups um there's also another kind of misperception that's really prevalent which is um assumptions of universality so we we tend to simplify what a group thinks into like we just kind of assume it's homogenous we assume everyone in that group feels the same way um when in fact within groups there's often diverse perspectives about it right so as I mentioned before, like conservatives are pretty divided on climate change, right? Um, and I think the kinds of solutions that Democrats are excited about, there's some variation there too, right? Some are excited about some kinds of solutions, some are more excited about other solutions. So it's important to kind of keep in mind that within any given camp, you're still gonna get a good amount of variety. Um, and that's, I think another part of the reason that people are bad when they estimate the whole is because when they're estimating the parts, they're, they're kind of oversimplifying them a bit in their mind.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, That's so interesting because I feel like measuring public opinion is so difficult because, I mean, there's just so many things that go into it. First of all, it's so expensive in, like, doing surveys and things. And also just in terms of, like, you know, you mentioned heuristics and also, you know, just, like, shortcuts that people take that affect their answers. Um, But it is interesting how you manage to get, like, such great results but kind of taking us away from talking about politics. So I know that you've talked a little bit about, you know, social behaviors and how that influences how we feel about climate change as well. So I'm referencing your talk that you did, I think with Dartmouth, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yes, but how can we translate some of these social behaviors into climate change related policies or rather, how can we further our own efforts to make real meaningful change in our communities?
2: There is no shortage of things you can do to help climate change, right? It's an issue that has clear need for policy on the solution side. Um, and one could get involved in those campaigns, but it also reaches into our own personal lives, right? Like in aggregate, dietary choices and travel choices and all of these things really add up um, and have a substantial impact um like you know meat consumption as an example kind of looms as something that alone is maybe responsible for like 15 percent of emissions right those numbers those estimates kind of vary a little bit but they're always in in the chunk of probably being more than 10 percent um So unless you were thinking about legislating dietary choices, then you probably might just want to encourage people to eat less. um, Right. So, so there's a lot of things that you can do. um, And, and the things are related to, I think there's this tendency to view them as zero sum. Like if I, if I advocate or endorse the political solution, does that mean that I can't do the lifestyle one? It's like, no, people can do both. In fact, that's actually how people operate most of the time. Um, So it's not per se that, endorsing one kind of solution detracts from the other. Most people see them as complements and not substitutes. Um, and for instance, there's been a critique of sustainable behavior campaign saying, hey, please don't talk about sustainable behavior. It's just distracting from climate policy, which is what we really need. Um, and while I think it's important to not lose sight of how responsible major industries are for the kind of climate catastrophe we've inherited largely, <clears throat> that... Uh, You can keep that in mind while still making sustainable behavior choices in your life. In fact, it's kind of important to do so because those are some of the most common social signals that we can send about whether we do or don't care about climate change. And when policymakers and businesses try to estimate if their constituency cares or if their customers care and they're contemplating passing a law or they're contemplating adopting a voluntary business standard to be more sustainable, they have to get a sense of if the country cares or not. And policymakers are liable to make the same misperceptions we do. In fact, we have some early data looking at a sample of local level decision makers um, and their perceptions of Americans, and they're pretty darn similar to Americans' perceptions of Americans. Um, So really, behavior is not just valuable in terms of the immediate impact it can have on the climate, but also because it's one of the most viable kind of social signals we have to say, hey, I'm doing things, I must care, I would like to see that policy passed or I would like this business to also voluntarily start doing better. Um, it's, it's, We're kind of swimming in those signals all the time. It's really too easy to imagine too, given that we're swimming in those signals that you could look around and think nobody cares, right? Because it's not that we see everyone hanging their laundry instead of using a dryer. Like we don't look around and see that necessarily. Um, while there are many changes that have happened, you might still think people seem content with the way things are. Um, But that would also be a source of misperception because often what happens is the cultural practices we have in the institutions that shape those cultural practices in our ways of life lag behind public opinion. They don't change on a dime. In fact, they're often kind of resistant to change. So if you were basing your estimate of how the country feels based off of the kind of norms or infrastructure they inherited, you would not be very accurate right? So it's even more important in that case, then, that we try to buck those trends a little bit and show that we care.
0: Yeah, um, from an individual level, is it important to kind of increase that representation? Like, is it important to kind of express an individual opinion on climate change, just so that kind of representation that kind of is out there? Or is it just kind of or does it just not matter really? Is it just kind of policy from what the government is doing? And is it just like, just have to kind of keep up with the norms if that makes sense. Like.
2: Policy obviously has a huge impact, especially really good policies can have even better impacts. Like from a climate standpoint, the inflation reduction act is a good start, but it's just, just that, right? It doesn't, doesn't get us even halfway to our climate goals really. Um, so it can, it necessarily must be the first of many steps we take, um, or else we get to pretty awful scenarios pretty quickly. Um, but the role of individual action in that scheme is important, um, for a few reasons. One, like I said, it kind of signals to those decision makers, if you care or not, and they're trying to estimate that all the time because they're worried about being reelected or if they're a business, they're worried about PR, um, and they do matter in aggregate. As I mentioned, like meat consumption is already just a a 10th of the whole puzzle of all of the things that matter, right? When it comes to climate change. Um, But they also matter because when people adopt behaviors, it actually, people internalize them and it changes hearts and minds too. So when you engage in those behaviors or express those attitudes, you actually kind of affirm your stance and, and people tend to, when they reflect on those things and how they connect to their values and identities, become stronger supporters of policy, in fact, afterwards. So you're like cultivating in yourself all the time, whether you're a person who does or doesn't care about this issue. And those lifestyle things kind of add up in that picture for you as part of clarifying for oneself. Am I the kind of person who would support an aggressive climate policy? It's like, well, I do all these lifestyle things. I guess I must really care about this. Like those become instrumental in developing that sense of self. Um, And then the last way it matters is that right now we're kind of stuck in what some have called a spiral of silence, which is that I'm worried about climate change, but I don't think others are. So I self silence. I don't express that I'm concerned or maybe I don't express that I'm excited about a policy that could solve this. Um, But because I self silence and if everyone else is doing that same thing, everyone else is looking around and thinking nobody cares then nobody's talking about it which just reaffirms the belief that nobody cares, right? And so that cycle kind of uh, perpetuates, right? So it's really important to break that cycle to express your concern, to express your support for things, especially if you're part of a group that people's stereotype of that group is that they don't care. It's probably even more important that you express it just so people understand that these groups aren't homogenous. Because right now everybody's inferring from silence that people are fine with the way things are, but that is not the case. Um, So it's probably important that we do speak up.
1: Um, Absolutely. That's, you know, such interesting insight into, because I feel like in terms of climate change, when you think of it as a topic, it's mostly approached from the political perspective, you know, what can we do right now, that would, you know, instigate like the quickest change. But in terms of like social behaviors, I think it really is impactful. And it's a great way for everyone to think about climate change more. Um, But yeah, we those are all the questions that we have, actually. So it was perfect timing. Um but thank you so much for coming on. We really were really looking forward to this interview. So, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun.